Welcome to this special episode of Lydiard Law. I'm Chris Ashmore. The COVID-19 pandemic is impacting fundamentally how we all live and work. The numbers of Australians affected by the virus increases daily and is already pushing the limits of our health system. Many businesses are directly hit by the shutdown that's occurring, leaving many thousands, if not millions, of people across the country temporarily or even permanently without work. As a business owner, what's your responsibility? What can you do with your staff if you can't keep the doors open? Well, with me is Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard, who explains what businesses can and can't do in this unprecedented crisis. Paul, welcome. First question then, can a boss stand down his or her staff during this period? So there there is a stand down right in the Fair Work Act. It's not entirely clear at the moment as to whether the current situation applies to that because the wording of the Act, some of it applies without a doubt. It's basically it has to be something beyond the employer's control. So obviously that's the case at the moment with the coronavirus. The other issue is that it has to be that there is no work for the employees to do as a result and also has to be there's a, a list of things in the Act and, of course, it doesn't cover pandemics or um, medical issues or bulk medical issues or anything like that. So the examples that are given in the section of the Act, if people want to have a look at it, Section 524, the circumstance now is not mentioned in the examples they give. Um, but then at the end it then says, uh, all for a cause beyond the employer's control. So it seems that at the moment employers will be able to stand down. But And I'm not saying this because, you know, lawyers, as lawyers we want to generate work. I think if employers are looking at doing that, unless they're really sure, it's best to get some advice because if you stand down employees where they don't have a stand down right, it can be a breach of the contract. So it could be the employee could um, claim for damages. Um, so there is a stand down right, as I say, in the Fair Work Act, and it's basically where there's no work, no meaningful work. If you can get them to do something, and pay is a separate issue about that, but if you can get them to do some work, and it is of some meaning to the business, then you can't stand them down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, speaking of pay then, are employers required to pay the employee who's being stand, stand yep. down? Again, it's a little bit uncertain, but in, in the section that I mentioned of the Fair Work Act, it does say that if they stand people down and the circumstances in their section apply, then they do not have to pay for the period, employees. So the answer to the question can also depend on whether it's a government-directed closure of the business or the employer has decided, look, we've got no work. So the answer could differ depending on the exact circumstances that have led to the shutdown. So as I said, either whether it's a government-directed shutdown, which I believe at the moment a whole set of um, businesses were ordered to shut, that circumstance may or may not arise an obligation to pay. But if it's an employer-directed shutdown, then again, it's still unclear as to whether there's a, a requirement to pay. But as I said, going back to the section of the Fair Work Act... If they satisfy those and there's no meaningful work, then generally the employer will not have to pay the employee during the stand-down period. But it is a little bit of a changing situation. It's a moving feast. It hasn't really been tested. Nobody's taken anybody to the employers at this early stage to the commission. 
um, or to the Ombudsman, Fair Work Ombudsman, for not being paid during a stand-down period. So until that happens, and it's definitive, it's still a little bit unclear. But I think that, if, as I said, if they satisfy the Fair Work Act, there's no obligation to pay on the employer during the stand-down period. Mm. What about sick leave? Can an employee take sick leave, even if they're not sick, but because they're looking after, say, their children or a sick family member, yeah. whether the family member has coronavirus or not? So that's going to be a very common inquiry as well. The short answer at the start is to say that if the employee is not sick, then there is no requirement to pay sick pay. So if they're looking after family members who are sick, or if they're looking after a member of the household who are sick, or looking after a child because they're home from school, which they have to be, then normally you would take carer's leave for that. So sick leave comes under a category called personal leave. Carer's leave is a separate um, amount of leave, but it's only probably usually, I think, two or four days. There's not much carer's leave. But there's such a thing called unpaid carer's leave and paid carer's leave. There's also a thing called unpaid sick leave, basically when you exhaust your entitlements. But in the circumstances where the employee themselves are not sick, even if they are looking after somebody else who is sick, whether it's corona or not, or anything else, are there any other type of injury, illness or injury, then there is, it's not sick leave. Mm. Is a voluntary or forced redundancy one of the possible outcomes of as a result of these circumstances? Yeah, it is, and it's probably best to think of them as last resorts. So... If there's a downturn, which is probably the first requirement for a real redundancy, is it has to be a downturn or some sort of a restructure in the business, then the position could be made redundant because the job is no longer being performed by anybody. So in that circumstance, the employee could approach the employer and say, well, it looks to me like it's indefinite. We don't know when the business is going to come back, when things are going to come back to normal. So would you be amenable to considering um, a voluntary redundancy? So they can do a redundancy by agreement. The other way to do it is the a forced redundancy where the employer makes a decision and says the job that you were doing is no longer being performed because of this shutdown or downturn, so therefore we're going to make your role redundant. Um, the employer then should consult with the employer and talk about it with them and not just spring it on them one day and say now you're um, redundant or your role is redundant even though the employee might think well they well know that it's, we're on a downturn it's not very obvious um, but they still have to consult and say to the employee look this is what we're thinking about doing before we actually make a definite decision to make your role redundant um, do you have anything to say about it any response to it any other suggestions that you might be able to make to avoid your role being redundant, maybe you want to change your position or things like that, do retraining or upskilling to a different position so you can get another job in the organisation. The employer then also has to consider, is there another job in the organisation anyway? That's the third element of a real redundancy. So I think a forced redundancy is probably a very last resort, but it may well be, and obviously it's too early to say what the statistics are, I think there will be forced redundancies on the way. Um, over a week or two, three weeks, it's, it's probably not a situation where they, the employer will look at the, the role and say, well, that's going to be finished forever because that's what the, the idea of it is. But if it gets to two or three months, three or four, five, six months, the employer might make a, a reasonable decision to say this role is no longer being performed and I don't think it's going to come back and say we're going to make the role redundant.
it is, but so yeah, you can do a voluntary or a forced one. And I think the forced one, as I said, let's hopefully there's not too many redundancies, but it's going to happen. Mm. Well, the communication, of course, is very important, but not all employers are so good at communicating, even in the best of times. What happens if an employer tells an employee to go home, doesn't mention the word stand down and doesn't communicate with them, say, within 14 days? Yeah, that could happen. As you said, it varies, obviously, as human nature does, it varies as to how good or how willing people are to communicate. But in that circumstance that you've described... That way may well be deemed to be a termination of employment. It may or may not be a stand-down. If you're going to do a stand-down, it's usually pretty clear, pretty well known, and it's obvious from the, looking at it from the outside. But if the employer just says, go home, there's no work for you to do, for example, and then stop paying them, well, they probably should keep paying them, by the way, perhaps. There's a lot of variables about that, but the award and the contract and any enterprise agreement comes into it. But it may well be in that circumstance that the employee would be deemed to be have been terminated from their employment, depending on the length of time. As you said, 14 days might be right on the cusp, maybe another week, and you would say that they've probably been terminated. If it's just seven days, it might just be that the employer is trying to get their head around the whole thing and working out what to do, sending employees home just so they have that mental breathing space to consider, well, what do we do now? It might just be that. Right. Now, if, if an employee's casual, they're told there are no longer any shifts available as a result of the downturn, what are their rights? Yeah, well, that, that's a really hard one. So um, casual employment has some benefits for the employee and for the employee because it provides them flexibility. And the employee can work when they want, when their other commitments allow them and all that type of thing. But the disadvantage of casual employment is that they don't have a requirement to be allotted shifts. They really, on an employment contract, sort of like shift to shift or day to day. So they don't have a requirement to be paid when they're not at work. They don't, they don't get leave. Um, they don't get annual leave. They don't get sick leave. Casual employees do get two days paid carers leave. But apart from that, if a casual, which is very common, in fact, I think there's a big local Australian Ballarat business that have put off something like 80 of their casual employment staff, there's nothing really they can do about it. The only saving grace for them might be that to say that, well, they were there for, say, six to 12 months minimum period, working really regular shifts, and so they had an ongoing expectation of continuing employment, and they were basically really a full-time. That's it. They might be able to say, well, I'm really a full-timer, so you should be paying me or giving me leave during the period of the shutdown. But if that's not the case, then casual employees can really fall through the cracks and not be entitled to be paid and not don't have a requirement to get shifts. Mm. So it, it could well be, I mean, we don't know, but it could well be many weeks or many months, in fact, that an employee um, is out of work with a particular organisation. So um, can an employee be asked or even forced to sign a document which makes it a requirement that they return to that workplace once the employer has work again? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting question, and... Um, I'm aware that that actually happened. I was made aware very recently of a case where employees were asked or demanded to sign a document that upon things coming back to normal, that those employees would have to return to the employment. As I said, I don't know how it was phrased, if it was just a demand or a request, but either way, you can't do it. 
if the employee then got another job and then said, well, in the meantime, and then said, well, now I have to go back to my old employment, that would be pretty unfair on the new employment. So you can't do it. And that really comes back to the old idea that an employee has a choice as to where they work and the employer has a choice as to who they employ. So you can't take that away from them. It's not, I think it comes back to what they used to call a master-servant relationship, that even though the employer directs and controls the employee and they're under the direction and control, the employee's always got the the overarching right, um, if you can put it that way, to choose who they're directed and controlled by. So you, you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to do it. Mm. I understand where employers are coming from because they want that certain certainty in a way that they'll have a workforce that are going to come back. And it, just through various issues that that happen, if the the downturns for six months or even longer, God forbid, then people move on. People might move into state whatever it is, get another job, various things, they might not want to go back. People move on sometimes. And so then the employer is trying to sort of ensure they've got a workforce that's just going to be able to operate the business and hit the ground running when it comes back. You can't force employers to actually come back. Mm. Well, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Not just employees, employers, small business owners are, are struggling to, to pay the bills themselves. So yeah, well, they are. That's right. Mm. Now, is there any other means besides stand-down pay whereby the employee can or must get paid in a shutdown for the business? So that's a very going to be a very common issue too. So if there's a stand-down with no pay, employees obviously view Centrelink as a last resort, but there are some potential options in the meantime. So they can take their annual leave if they've got enough um, accrued annual leave. They could take long service leave if they've accrued enough service um, time. And a lot of this comes down to an agreement between the employer and employee. Some employers, although I would query whether how many are in the position to do so now, may actually allow them to go into negative leave balance so that even though they haven't got the accrual of paid leave, they might um, see fit to, to pay them anyway. So, you know, to go into a negative balance with the leave on the understanding that when the employee comes back, they either you know accrue it back up again or just pay them back. The other thing about that is that so those things can happen to ensure the employee gets paid. The other thing that has been canvassed around in the media is a thing called special leave, applicable only to this situation. It's certainly not you know law yet or anything like that. It's only been talked about. It might be that the the government will pass legislation to create a special form of leave called special leave that will allow employees to get paid in the circumstances that we're in at the moment if they run out of paid leave and annual leave. Okay. Now, can an employer require an employee to get a medical certificate before they're allowed to come back to work? Well, I think that would be pretty important. Um, They can, and they always have had the right. Arguably, they've got more of a right now because obviously you don't want somebody with the virus, if it's known to the person or not, coming in and spreading it around. So I think the employer has always had, but probably even more so now, got a right to say, well, you've been overseas or have you come in contact with somebody who has had it? And they may say yes, has got a right to say can you get medical certificate before we allow you to come back? I think they're within their rights to do that. While the employee is going up and doing that, they're entitled to be paid because it's a work direction. Also, 
any medical expenses they incur in getting those those tests or diagnoses, they also also should be paid by the employer. Well, I suppose on that, on, on return from overseas, can the employer um, request that they take two weeks annual leave? Um, it's been said that they shouldn't do that. It might be that there's more to it. So I suppose if an employer says, well, if you do, we'll, t- we'll pay you for it, then the employee may jump at the chance. But just by virtue of the fact that they've been overseas and come back, particularly that they've had a test and they're, and they're negative, I don't think that circumstance leaves it to being appropriate for the employer to say, as soon as you come back from overseas, you must take leave for two weeks because what they're then doing is, in a sense, um, saying, well, you have to self-isolate away from the business just because you've been back coming from overseas. So that employers might be tempted to do it and they might even be tempted to pay, but I don't think that's fair on the employee because there's an assumption in that question that because they've been overseas, they're now sick that then potentially then starts to maybe fall foul of the anti-discrimination laws. So that's the other thing I think just worth mentioning now is that if somebody does have COVID-19 and tells the employer, the employers always need to be aware of the, the, the general protections that employees have at work. I think we've done a podcast before on that, on that issue that and it doesn't matter what the illness or injury is, if an employer takes some sort of adverse action against an employee, such as directing them to take unpaid leave or terminating them or reducing their pay, reducing their hours, because of the fact that they're sick with COVID-19 or anything else, then that gives rise to a general protections claim, potentially in the Fair Work Commission, against the employer. So they have to be careful. So going back to the question, they shouldn't do it automatically. They should just have a discussion. And a lot of these things can be resolved, even though the law is there as a backstop in a sense, a lot of these things can be resolved by genuine discussion between the employee and employee. So keep the lines of communication open. Don't don't hide things and be dishonest and be upfront with everybody and hope we can all get through it together because we're not we are getting trying to get through this together. And it's maybe now even more important that people band together and try to be open and communicative about the whole situation. Not every country in the world has got it always had it so if you come from somewhere um, that hasn't had COVID-19 and the employer would then say well because you've been overseas I don't care where you come from we're going to make you take two weeks leave because we think you might be a danger to occupational health and safety I think that's overstepping the mark. Maybe a last question can an employer reduce the the salary of his or her employees to allow the business to survive when we get over this uh, crisis? That's a really good question and it's a very common one because employers will be feeling the pinch and saying, well, can we reduce hours, say put you on a four-day week or even make it a five-day week but reduce it to six hours a day? That's going to be very common. And kicking off from my last answer, if the employer and the employee agree to it, that's fine. So we're talking about full-time employees, also part-time. So permanence, you can't do it unless you have the employer's agreement because it's what's called a, a unilateral breach of the contract. It's a breach of the employment contract that's been initiated by one party without the other's consent. So if, if they were to do that without agreement, then they could fall foul of the law and have a breach of contract claim against them. But if the employee is willing to do it, and the employees well know the pressure that businesses are under, 
So I'm not saying employees have to agree to it by any means, but give consideration because it may well be that the business doesn't have the cash flow to pay your full-time hours anymore. And to get part-time hours is better than nothing. So it might be a good compromise. So it certainly is a very good question and one that's likely to arise in a lot of circumstances. And employers will often do that because they value the employee. They want them to stay. They want to do the right thing, but they don't want to terminate them. So in that sense, if an agreement can be reached between the employer and employee, then it can be a win-win all round. That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. And that ends this special episode of Lydiard Law. Any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to discussing more legal issues next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening.